This is Vibing Well with Dr. Stacy. I am a traditional naturopath who specializes in functional medicine and a holistic approach to healing. I'm taking all of your questions and giving you my advice on how to balance the body, promote a healing mindset, and rediscover your most natural state, which is health and vitality. Thank you so much for joining me, and let's get to your questions. Hello and welcome once again, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today. I just want to give you all a shout out and tell you thank you so much for your support for my first show. It's always so exciting when you're doing something new, but there's always a level of vulnerability involved. So I really appreciate all the shares, the emails, messages, and even more so all the new questions we have to answer today. So with that being said, today's topics are going to be how to lower blood pressure naturally and can it be done? Um, The second question is going to be leaky gut. What is it and what does it do to the body systemically? And lastly, it's going to be more specific question that is tailored to type 2 diabetes and what kind of sweeteners are preferred for that situation. And of course, I'm going to go into some root causes. I can't help but do that of type 2. Um, So let's get started and talk about how to lower blood pressure naturally. Can it be done? And, you know, what are some of the things that need to be incorporated to do this? So, yes, you know, to answer your question quickly, it definitely can be done. I see it done all the time. Um, There are some things that we need to look at. Uh, Diet and lifestyle always need to be addressed first. If this is something that someone has been addressing for a while and still not really getting the answers, there's other things that we need to kind of delve a little bit deeper into. So um, I'm going to share with you all of these things, but it's really important to talk about the root cause of high blood pressure first, because if you are struggling with this condition, you can learn some of the diet and lifestyle modifications you can make. Um, And then if you don't have high blood pressure, these are things that you can do preventatively so you don't have this problem in the future. So when I think of high blood pressure and what I see clinically, the number one cause is, of course, chronic and prolonged stress. So I always tell my clients there's internal stress and there's external stress. And when you have internal stress, like let's just say maybe a leaky gut or um, nutrient deficiencies or pathogens or something like that, viruses, Um, It really makes your external stresses a lot harder to deal with because your body's caught up in this chronic immune response and it really can't shut it off. It's a negative feedback loop. So when you are dealing with this and you are just kind of overwhelmed, your body's overwhelmed and you're starting to get depleted and run down, it can definitely have that adverse effect of raising blood pressure and causing other signs of inflammation because it's just such a chronic response stress is supposed to be an acute response. Our body can deal with um, good forms of stress like hormesis um, for when you're exercising and that sort of thing. But when it's a chronic and prolonged state, the body overcompensates for so long, eventually you're going to have systemic issues down the road. So whether that's hypothyroidism or, you know, um, adrenal insufficiency or things like that, eventually it will lead um, to those things. And obviously, Anytime you have nutrients being depleted or that sort of thing, you're going to have issues with regulating your blood pressure and blood sugar. So we talked about gut issues just briefly. We're going to delve more into that in our second question. But when you have a leaky gut or some other inflammation in the intestinal lining, it's going to cause malabsorption of some of the important minerals and vitamins that are needed to regulate blood pressure. So some of these are magnesium, calcium, And then, of course, we'll talk about this in just a moment, but sodium and potassium ratio. 
Um, and so get to the root of what is causing that stress response. If it's not external stress or things that are going on in your life, um, that's going to be a really, really important factor to take in. So um, now the next highest, I would say, cause of high blood pressure, of course, is going to be diet. Standard American diet, we have refined foods, we have refined sugars, inflammatory fats, seed oils. These all create a perfect storm to perpetuate, once again, inflammation, and therefore they're directly affecting our blood pressure. So these inflammatory fats like trans fats and seed oils are the kinds that actually build up in our blood vessels and cause plaque. So when you have that inflammation and you know, your, your blood pressure is being raised and you have plaque in your blood vessels and arteries, that's when you're going to be more prone to having a cardiac event. So we just briefly mentioned blood sugar, but when your diet consists of processed foods, you're losing natural fiber, protein, and good sources of fat that's going to help you keep that blood sugar stable. So whenever your blood sugar is not stable, it makes your stress response also unstable because when your blood sugar spikes and drops, your stress hormones immediately get turned on. So your cortisol is going to try to, you know, release some blood glucose really quickly. And then you're just in this state of stress, state of catabolism. So really, really important to stabilize blood sugar throughout the day. And it's really hard to do and basically impossible when you're eating the standard American diet. So so we'll talk a little bit about what things to include um, once we get through these root causes of how to kind of stabilize blood sugar and your stress response when you're eating and things that kind of add in to help with some of that. Now we mentioned um, internal stress. So stealth infections. So sometimes mold, Bartonella, Babesia, things like that can cause an immune response on a cellular level. So it's really important to do some functional testing to look and see if you've already addressed diet and lifestyle and you're already lowering stress, you're, you know, you've got a great stress management plan, you're eating a healthy anti-inflammatory diet, then you need to look a little bit deeper. And that's what, you know, some of these things I was talking about. So um, running some functional medicine testing, looking for things like heavy metals, looking for things like hidden viruses and bacterium, that sort of thing will be um, indicated if you're still having that trouble. The other thing to look at is environmental toxicities. So metals we just talked about, chemicals, just think anything man-made in our environment that's going to be unrecognizable by the body is going to increase stress on the body, causing extra work, not only on the liver, but just your immune system on, you know, as a whole. So this will directly affect hormones, blood sugar, conversion of important vitamins, such as vitamin D, which we know is needed for not only hormones, but so many other processes in the body. The other root cause that I see highly, highly related to high blood pressure is alcohol. It has a direct effect on the liver and blood sugar. Once again, we're affecting detoxification, blood sugar, stress hormones, all of those things. So there is an undeniable stress response that is associated with alcohol um, and its effect on the body. There's also something called the law of dual effect. So when something has a depressant-like effect on the body initially, on the back end, it also has a stimulant effect, which can cause, once again, that cascade of stress hormones. So if you are still struggling with high blood pressure and you haven't cut alcohol, a lot of times this can be one of your main culprits. So we already kind of spoke um, lightly about nutrient deficiencies. Um, When the body isn't properly able to absorb these minerals and nutrients, 
We become deficient in things that help stabilize blood sugar, support specific processes in the body. And then, of course, those calming substances like we talked about, magnesium, calcium, potassium, those sort of things get depleted. And so we put our body in more of an inflammatory state. We're inducing oxidative stress. We're lowering the important antioxidants in the body, glutathione, CoQ10, because of how the liver is being affected. So, so many factors really need to be considered. Um, It's not just ever one missing supplement. Um, The other thing that is highly unrecognized is that certain medications are highly connected to being responsible for raising blood pressure just on their own. Some of these are NSAIDs, steroids, decongestants, and even birth control. These are known to deplete nutrients, antioxidants, and once again, add to that hormonal and adrenal stress. Another thing that really drives me kind of bonkers is the conventional treatment for high blood pressure is going to be a statin. We know that statins deplete the body of the main antioxidant, which is called glutathione. We know that they deplete the body of B vitamins, which are extremely essential for the body's ability to handle and cope with stress. So not only does this just kind of mask the problem, but in a way it contributes to making you this long-term consumer of the product because of the depletion of nutrients is going to keep you in a state of high blood pressure. Because like I said, we're depleting the body of those antioxidants. You're making it more prone to oxidative stress and inflammation. We're depleting vital nutrients like B vitamins, and now we're impairing detoxification and even adding more to that stress load on the body. So be really cognizant and just be empowered of your options when it comes to dealing with high blood pressure because, as you see, the conventional treatment really doesn't get to the root and honestly contributes even more to the problem. So there's no sense, I always say there's no sense in talking about a problem unless we can actually focus and talk about the solution. So now let's look into some ways that we can naturally lower blood pressure. And these are things that everybody can do. So... Um, obviously the key player here is stress. So across the board, you really have to have a great stress management plan. This is really hard. We live in a society where everything is go, go, go. We have our to-do list. We have to check off all our things. And we basically just end up going through the motions and not really taking a step back and doing things that we enjoy and things that we love and, or taking even an hour in the day to quiet our mind or go for a walk or do something that we enjoy, like reading a book. You really have to learn to incorporate these things daily. They are very vital in calming the nervous system, calming the stress response, and therefore eventually lowering your blood pressure because of, you know, your body feels safe enough that it doesn't have to be in this chronic state of stress anymore. So things like getting out in nature, like I said, take your lunch hour and make it just yours. Do things that you want to do. Go on a walk, read a book, you know, take time to rest and digest your food so you can have better absorption. Doing things like meditation, yoga, things that make you more spiritual. These things, you know, movement, things that you enjoy, not just things you have to do. These are things that really have to be incorporated like I said, to really get to a place of healing and stay there because we have to learn to really balance out these things in our life and are they really worth the physical effects of stress and things like high blood pressure, blood sugar dysregulation? Is it really worth 
the stress that these things are causing on our bodies. So that's something that you're going to have to play with and be intuitive about. Um, And also another key player in that is when we're thinking stress, one thing to really hone in on is making sure that you're getting good restful sleep. This is when the body um, repairs and restores and also helps with detoxification at night. So if you are so wired during the day or your cortisol is out of whack or you're not able to properly rest and relax and get that sleep, then you're going to have a hard time coming back. You're going to have a hard time calming the body enough to feel safe enough to, like I said, normalize things like thyroid, blood pressure, that sort of thing. So prioritize sleep. If you don't know where your cortisol is at, you can always run a Dutch and kind of look at your cortisol rhythm. I always recommend that if you are struggling in any way with energy or just all over, you know, just insomnia, that sort of thing. Always great to look at that. We mentioned this, stopping alcohol. It has to be done. It really has to be done. Anytime you have a blood sugar issue, a liver issue, which almost everybody has in your environment today, um, or an inflammatory issue of any sort, like high blood pressure, you really have to take into account the toxic effect that alcohol has on the body, has on the liver, has on the body as a system with the inflammatory processes that it can incite. So to really heal and, you know, see if this is the root cause of your issues, you're just going to have to do without it and work on liver healing, work on liver support. And like I said, once again, calm the body, find other ways to relax and enjoy life and be social for now while you're healing. Cause it, um, really just depletes the body in so many ways and increases oxidative stress. So you're talking about aging the body faster, so many other things that are really negative um, from alcohol consumption. So the other thing is don't just run out and cut salt. Your body needs salt for so many processes. And that is one thing that, you know, sometimes in conventional, they'll say, well, just cut salt and cut fats and, you know, we'll lower blood pressure. And that's really not the case. It's all about the quality. So you need salt. We need it for energy and adrenal function. And we really have to focus more on the sodium to potassium ratio than anything. So a lot of times people have, you know, when you're eating a highly refined diet, your sodium is going to be through the roof because we're eating so many processed foods, but your potassium is so low and they really have to balance each other out. So ways that you can look at your sodium to potassium ratio is an HTMA test. I love this mineral test. It really gives you a great idea of what's going on, not only on a mineral level, but you take those mineral ratios and determine how your adrenal and thyroid function are actually keeping up with the amount of stress that's in the body. So it's just such a vital test. And I really enjoy, um, you know, kind of finding indicators. It also looks at things like chromium, which we talked about blood sugar regulation and other things that can all contribute to why we have high blood pressure. Also looking into things like calcium, magnesium, like we mentioned earlier, those are our more calming type nutrients in the body when it's in a state of stress or inflammation is going to find that calcium and magnesium um, in the bones and soft tissues in the body and actually become catabolic. So this test will kind of show you where you're at with that and, you know, with the it shows your stress load basically and how your body's able to deal with it, which is pretty great. So that kind of leads us into our next thing and that is doing some functional testing. So like I said, if you've already cleaned up diet and lifestyle 
and you're still struggling to kind of get over the hump on this situation, look a little bit deeper. Look at minerals, look at stealth infections, look at heavy metals, mold, lime, co-infections, that sort of thing. All these things can cause this internal um, inflammatory response and raise blood sugar directly. So if you're struggling, sometimes you've got to dig a little bit deeper um, into that. So the other thing is work with your practitioner about maybe adding in some um, supporting some antioxidants that have been depleted if you've been on a statin like glutathione, CoQ10, maybe some omega-3s, magnesium, all these things. You know, if you don't really know what your cortisol is looking like, get a Dutch test ran and look at that. If, Like I said, if you're struggling with sleep or you're struggling with energy and that sort of thing, sometimes you really need to hone in and, and um, work on things like cortisol. So these are all going to be great. Cortisol is really important. It's your body's main anti-inflammatory. So if you are depleted in cortisol, that could be contributing to your high blood pressure. So sometimes you have to dig a little deeper. Functional testing is going to be great for that. And it's going to get you some really great answers. I hope that this answers some of your questions. I will link to some of the testing I was talking about in the show notes and anything else that is important for supporting high blood pressure now while you're trying to get to the root causes. Um, As you can see, it's always a multifaceted issue. It's never just one missing supplement. It is diet, it's lifestyle, maybe a little bit of supplementation, but it's a very well-rounded approach. And so when you're trying to heal something like this, you have to look at it from a holistic perspective, or it'll just be a problem that comes back over and over and over again, or one that you're really just never able to really, you know, get over the hump, so to speak. That was an awesome question. So many people ask it. I hope that this gave you a little bit of headway into what to maybe look into and things that you can start to modify and and correct in your own life, lifestyle and diet. Um, Let's get into our next question. This is basically what is leaky gut? Please explain in detail what it is and some of the systemic effects of having a leaky gut are. So let's first talk about what a healthy gut looks like. So when you have a healthy gut, your intestinal lining has these junctions in them and they're supposed to be tight. And basically these will allow vitamins and minerals to go through them, but they will be a nice barrier for anything that shouldn't be there, like food particles, pathogens, parasites, bacteria, all those things. So when you're stressed and, you know, stress alone can loosen these junctions in your intestinal lining, and that's what we call leaky gut or intestinal permeability. Um, But then we add in other things that cause inflammation. So we're thinking maybe pathogenic bacteria, stealth infections, um, things like gluten, which contains a chemical in it called zonulin, which that specifically can trigger that opening of these cell linings. Gluten is highly inflammatory. Um, and that's something that is really hard for me to ever recommend to somebody because I know that it contains this, you know, substance in it that is going to directly affect the gut and the gut wall. So when this happens, the body, your barrier, your protection is compromised and now it's open. So you have all these things like food particles, chemicals, pathogens, toxins, all of these things are now able to pass through that barrier and into the bloodstream. And what this does is this triggers an immune response. And so once these junctions are loosened and if you're not healing that gut, um, it's basically a perpetual immune response. And this is where we get autoimmunity. 
So the problem never really stays in the gut because once it gets into the bloodstream, it becomes a systemic type of inflammation response. So that's why a lot of people, you know, with their antibodies and they're looking at ANA and all these sort of things, this is where that begins for most people. So really, really important. Understand that leaky gut, it never stays in the gut. It becomes a systemic issue across the board. So with that being said, let's talk about some of the other ways that the gut, having a leaky gut can affect the body systemically. Let's first talk about the connection with the nervous system. So there's a gut-brain axis, which connects through the vagus nerve. So when there's a gut issue, there's almost always a nervous system issue as well. And this is going to create issues with cognition, behavior, mood, and neurological issues. So we know that neurotransmitters are produced in the gut. So if we're having any sort of dysbiosis or leaky gut or any other gut condition that's going on, you have to know that your neurotransmitters are going to be affected and that's going to make you more likely to have these mood and behavioral disorders such as depression, anxiety, ADD, and ADHD. So you always, it's always a great place when someone's coming to me with debilitating anxiety or other things like that, you always have to start with the gut. I really like an organic acid test if you feel like this is something that is, you know, you're dealing with mood disorders, you're dealing with neurotransmitter issues. An organic acid test is going to look at markers for dysbiosis, look at pathogenic items, and also look at your neurotransmitters and how they're being, what pathways they're taking essentially. Are they causing a buildup of, you know, a byproduct or are they being converted like they should properly? And an organic acid test is going to give you some really good insight into that. Um, For example, when you have a buildup of a dopamine byproduct called HVA, that's going to make you more likely to have things like anxiety, ADD ticks, OCD-like behavior, and then even autism on a higher scale. So really great and really important to look at neurotransmitters and other things that could be going on the gut uh, with starting with an organic acid test. Um, The other way that I can, you know, we talked about autoimmunity. Think about the connection of the gut and the immune system. Almost 80% of our immune system is located in our gut. So when there is a gut issue, there's also going to be an immune system issue. So when you have something going on like this, you ha- you'll be more likely to have autoimmunity. You'll have frequent illness or just an inability to get over e- easy things like a cold or something like that. And then we have the chronic immune response because of all these food particles that are going through our bloodstream now. So what happens is the body eventually starts tagging other things as invaders. So other body tissues like the thyroid or, you know, other glands and that sort of thing, because it's just very ramped up from this autoimmune response, this chronic invader type response. And so that is how we start to get autoimmunity in other areas of the body because we start tagging other things. And then we have other things, we have products like gluten that are coming into the body that mimic tissues like thyroid and that sort of thing. And so then that's when you start getting that autoimmunity that directed towards specific areas like the thyroid. So it's all highly, highly connected to what is going on in the gut. And that's why we always start there. So the other thing that you have to think about is the nutrient deficiencies that are associated with having a leaky gut. We kind of touched on this with um, what could affect high blood pressure, 
But when you are deficient in specific nutrients, specific parts of the body are going to start to be affected. So for example, B vitamins, like we said, that's going to directly affect energy production. It's going to directly affect liver. Um, Vitamin D is going to directly affect um, some of your immune system, your hormones, selenium and iodine are going to directly affect thyroid. Do you see how that works? So eventually when our levels are slowly getting, you know, depleted, then other systems of the body are going to be directly affected. And it's gotten, that's what creates our, you know, constellation of different symptoms based on what nutrients are being depleted at what, you know, at what rate, so to speak. So it's very highly important to understand and look at what minerals and vitamins are depleted initially when you run your gut tests so that you can start to replace those while you're working on the gut so you can start to feel better sooner. So what are the main triggers? So we talked about gluten. That's that's such a high one. I mean, it really is. If you have any sort of dysbiosis or digestive issues or anything, cutting gluten just really should be done. And if you have an autoimmune condition of any sort, there's no 80-20 when it comes to it. You really just have to cut gluten completely. It is, you know, it's just, it's inflammatory to everyone. And it is just such a hormone mimicker. It just ends up being problematic across the board. And most people who come to me are already at a state where they need to lower inflammation as much as they can. So the other thing is look for environmental toxins. So think about GMO foods. So anything that's non-organic so is going to be contaminated with pesticides, herbicides, and viruses possibly. What these do is they kill the gut microbes and alter the balance of the gut flora. Antibiotics. We are in such a overused antibiotic state right now. Um, we're, we're taking z for everything and amoxicillin is given out like candy. And these are really the very start of so many of our gut dysbiosis and microbiome issues. They wipe out not only the bad bacteria, but they also wipe out the good. And so when the bad bacteria is prevalent and pathogenic, then you're going to grow, you know, it's going to get out of balance. It's going to grow. And then that's the problem I have when people start taking probiotics, um, after they've been on antibiotics or are having gut issues, because what you're doing is you're feeding that pathogenic bacteria as well as the, you know, little level of good you may have. And it's really important to get in there and weed out anything pathogenic first before you start that. Chronic stress, we've already talked about that with high blood pressure, but it also directly affects the gut because it's just once again, perpetuating that inflammatory state, decreasing immune function. And like I said, it can even, stress alone can even open those gaps in your intestinal lining. Poor nutrition. So diets that are low in fiber and high in processed sugars, refined vegetable oils and seed oils, these all increase inflammation and feed yeast and other pathogenic bacteria in the gut. Dairy. Dairy is a highly inflammatory um, product for most people. Any foods that are going to directly cause inflammation really should be avoided. So gluten, dairy, eggs for a lot of people, um, soy, those sort of things really need to be cut initially. So really putting into effect a low inflammatory diet is going to be key here when you're working and repairing on the gut and trying to restore and heal that gut lining. 
alcohol. So we talked about how alcohol affects blood pressure, but it also affects the gut microbiome and causes intestinal inflammation. So once again, anytime you're healing autoimmune condition, high blood pressure issue, really, really have to cut alcohol first. Infections. So we talked about some of these stealth infections. These can be looked at with a functional medicine test. Bacteria, virus, fungal infections, and even parasitic infections can cause inflammation, stress, and they can also widen the spaces between the cells of the intestinal wall. And that makes pathogens able to move from the digestive tract into the bloodstream. So parasites, intracellular parasites, all those things can be exacerbated when you have a gut issue. Medications like NSAIDs, steroids, proton pump inhibitors, and birth control all affect the gut microbiome. They suppress natural inflammatory responses, and they damage the protective mucus and irritate the intestinal lining. So what are some signs that you have leaky gut? So when you have a leaky gut issue, understand that it's not always just a digestive issue. That's going to be the kind of key player for some people. They're going to have bloating. They're going to have heartburn. They're going to have just, you know, their food just seems to sit in their stomach for a really long time, things like that. But also think systemic problems like joint pain and rheumatoid arthritis. Having malabsorption issues. So whenever you have nutrient-specific deficiencies and, you know, with the coinciding system that's being affected by that, that's also going to be, that is going to be telling of a gut dysbiosis or leaky gut issue. Um, Skin issues like acne and rosacea, inflammatory bowel issues like IBS and Crohn's, thyroid and adrenal issues, fatigue, hormonal issues, autoimmune conditions like we talked about, mood disorders, anxiety, depression, ADD, ADHD, sugar and carb cravings. When you have pathogenic things like yeast and that sort of thing, your body craves sugars because that is what the bacteria loves and that's what the yeast loves to feed off of. So a lot of times when you have these uncontrollable sugar cravings, it's not only just a deficiency in, you know, things like chromium and other blood sugar stabilization um, minerals, but it's usually the pathogens that are talking to you and they are craving these overly sweet foods. So what does healing look like? When you are healing from a leaky gut situation, it's always, always good to run an organic acid test first to know what you're up against because if mold is suspected or things like that, your path is going to look a little differently. But overall, you're basically going to weed out anything that's pathogenic. You're going to find what is pathogenic on that organic acid test. You're going to, you know, weed out the bad, basically start reseeding. Um, so strategically placing in probiotics as you start to heal, working on healing the gut lining, um, and then eventually restoring the gut by um, doing things like fermented foods. And like I said, um, introducing things like marshmallow root and aloe, that sort of thing to really just make sure the gut lining is really nice and healthy after you've kind of been through this process. All while cutting alcohol, eating a low inflammatory diet, cutting out those highly inflammatory foods that all has to be intertwined in your healing protocol. It's going to look a little different based on what pathogens you're up against or bacteria or that sort of thing. But overall, it's going to be a weed, refeed, and restore type situation when it comes to gut healing. 
I think that's a pretty good introduction to leaky gut and what it does to the body, not just the digestive tract, but also what it can do to the body systemically. So I hope that helped and I hope it gives you some direction. Like I said, an organic acid test is always just the best place to start. You know something's off, so just get that, you know, clarification and get a better path to start on, you know, to know what you're up against. So now we're going to get into our third and final question, and that is going to be a little bit more specific. So here's the question. Hey there, my question is about sugars. Since finding out I'm pre-diabetic, I've been paying more attention to ingredient listings. I'm wondering the difference between the following and overall impact on the body, which is truly best to use. Cane sugar, stevia, honey, coconut palm sugar. Is this the same as coconut sugar? Pure maple syrup, monk fruit sweetener. I generally use stevia and honey. I'm making my own desserts at home now and see all of these other sweeteners and not sure what I should be using. Thank you so much for all your help. So this is a great question. I get this asked pretty often, actually. So let's first delve into what type 2 diabetes is, and then we'll talk about some of the root causes, and then we'll look at some of the sweeteners that should be utilized and that sort of thing. So type 2 diabetes is a chronic disease that affects the way the body metabolizes sugar. It's characterized by progressive loads of sensitivity to insulin, which is the pancreatic hormone that regulates blood sugar levels. In early stages of type 2, the body produces more insulin to try to overcome and this reduced insulin sensitivity. However, in the long run, the pancreas can't produce enough insulin to maintain blood sugar levels, resulting in high blood sugar or hyperglycemia. Hyperglycemia indicates or induces oxidative stress, which in turn contributes to many of the complications of type 2 diabetes, such as kidney, nerve, retinal, and vascular damage. So anytime you think oxidation, oxidative stress, you have to think that there's going to be DNA damage and tissue damage down the road. So what is the cause? So mainly it's going to be diet and lifestyle factors. Once again, the oxidative stress and genetic plays a little role as if, you know, if you're predispositioned, but like we say with genetics, it's always about the environment that you're in that really affects whether these genes are turned on or off. So when we think of diet, think of inflammatory foods, refined sugars, we're talking about seed oils and other inflammatory fats like omega-6s and omega-9s. They end up causing deficiencies down the road in good fat-soluble vitamins. Um, the other thing is, like I said, when you are eating highly refined and highly processed foods, we're losing that fiber. We're losing those good nutrients to help with that blood sugar response like we talked about. Um, so we're peaking and crashing all day long, and that really causes the body to get into a place of dysregulation and stress. Other lifestyle factors that contribute are a sedentary lifestyle, inadequate sleep, chronic stress, gut dysfunction, and environmental toxins. So think about hormone disruptors, heavy metals, and other forms of toxicity. These all play significant roles in blood sugar stability. These all eventually cause oxidative stress, damage pancreatic beta cells, which are responsible for making insulin, and induce cellular insulin resistance, setting the stage for met metabolic dysfunction down the road. So that's basically type 2 in a nutshell. What are the main causes? So now let's start looking at some of these so you can try to manage and stabilize your blood sugar. So let's move on to the second part of the question, and that was wondering what types of sugars should we be consuming right now? Understand that 
sugar is a sugar is a sugar. So a refined cane sugar is going to have a higher glycemic index than let's say honey or maple syrup. But when these are eaten alone, they are all going to spike your blood glucose levels and therefore your insulin, you know, response that's going to follow that. So does that mean you can't have any of these? Well, you know, just like anything else, it depends on the person. It depends on your insulin resistance level. It depends on how sensitive your system is. And one of the ways that I love that you can really delve into your own personal response is by wearing a continuous glucose monitor. I did this over the holidays personally because I had some indicators on my Dutch test that were showing a little bit of possible um, blood sugar dysregulation. So I wanted to delve into it and really hone in on what foods were affecting me and, you know, what times of the day were my patterns and that sort of thing. So this is something that can easily be done. Anyone can do it. Wear it for a month. See how your body responds to these foods. You know, see how sensitive you are and also see how empowering it is to be able to stabilize your blood sugar and actually see it on a monitor. It's so such a wonderful experience and you can learn so much of it. So I highly recommend, you know, everyone to do this and just really see what your own personal response to things are. Because you have to understand we are all in a different state of health. Our livers are all in a different state of health. Our current stress load and stress response is different. And our toxin levels are all different. So we're all going to respond a little bit differently to foods. So it's just a highly individualized approach that needs to be happened. So when you have a natural sugar that you're consuming, you have to also make sure that you are properly combining it with fiber, protein, and fat to kind of pad that glucose and insulin response. So make sure you're not, once again, spiking and then crashing. Um, It's just about keeping it stable and consistent. So when you add in those things, it really helps with that consistency and that regulation. So the other thing is making sure that you're having your sweet at the end of a meal because a lot of people wait an hour or two after a meal to have a dessert. And so think, you know, you're going to naturally, your blood sugar is going to raise after a meal no matter what, but it's about lowering it, you know, within that hour or two afterwards. So if you wait until then to have your dessert, you're once again spiking it and then you don't have any of the fiber or anything from that meal that you just had to help stabilize that reaction. Do you see how that works? So, and then we're talking about the natural substitutes. Now, stevia, monk fruit, that sort of thing. While evidence points that it does not directly raise blood sugar, it can trigger a stress response, which can eventually affect blood sugar down the road because cortisol and stress are highly connected to our blood glucose. So look at it this way. If you're eating something sweet, or at least the brain thinks it's going to get something sweet and it doesn't come, your body's going to trigger a stress response because, you know, we thought we were going to get this quick energy and it didn't happen. So anytime you have that stress response, cortisol is going to find a way to get blood glucose levels up and it's going to do that, um, which is coincidingly going to affect your insulin down the road. Not only that, but I used to be an avid stevia user as well. So I used it for about 10 years and I used it with my children as well in the past few years. And what I began to notice was that things that should be naturally sweet, like fruits and smoothies and things like that, they were no longer finding them to be sweet. So the stevia was actually altering their taste buds and making them want things that were very much sweeter than they should be. And so for me, that was kind of a aha moment where I'm like, yes, it's 
calorie free. Yes, it doesn't affect their blood glucose, but it's directly affecting their cravings. And it's they're not able to even, you know, note that things are sweet naturally. They're, you know, and I don't want them to get down the to a place where they have to sweeten every little thing they eat. That's just not good. And that's going to cause, like I said, those sugar, carbs, sweet cravings down the road. So it's just not good for them. So we cut stevia. We don't use it. And um, we use things like dates that actually have that natural fiber in it. And then, of course, if we're food combining and with a good source of protein and fat and fiber, then we'll use things like honey and maple syrup. Those are going to be like the more more preferred so that's my that's my take on it. Those are that's my experience with it. It's something I've been kind of playing around with for years now. Um, the CGM was kind of like the tipping point for me and really gave me the most insight on everything because I had checked blood glucose on and off for a few years. But it really it was it's hard to do for one. You don't want to prick your finger every hour, um, and it's not as accurate. So um, CGM. Try it. See your individual response and see how that works for you. And then, like I said, on the natural, you know, substitutes, you really have to go with your instinct. You know, don't just always go with what the studies are telling you because the studies were telling me they weren't affecting blood glucose, but they were affecting other things like cravings and that sort of thing. So you have to be really intuitive and understand how your body's responding a specific thing because we are also different and everything that we do has to be bio-individualized. The other question that you had, the list of sugars, so coconut palm, cane, honey, maple syrup. Coconut palm is actually coconut sugar. It's just made from the actual palm versus the fruit. And like I said, the preferred sources are going to be raw honey, raw maple syrup, and dates. Um, But make sure you're properly combining them with, like I said, fiber, protein, and healthy fats to make sure that you don't have that blood crush, blood sugar crush afterwards. And like I said, some tips, eating your sweet, you know, paleo type sweet at the end of a meal is going to be best. Um, Making sure that you have some movement after a meal that's going to help naturally bring those blood sugar levels down. And make sure that you're not eating refined carbs. Make sure you're getting plenty of non-starchy vegetables with each meal. When your body's extremely insulin resistant, you have to be more vigilant on what types of carbs you're having. And like I said, that's really why it's important to hone in on your individual response to some of these foods because somebody will be like, well, can I have rice or can I have oats or this or that? Well, you don't really know unless you're testing your blood glucose or, you know, some people can feel it. If you feel sluggish or brain fog or something like that after you have carbs, that's a sign that they're just not working for you. So I hope that helped. Um, A few other things that are involved with blood sugar and stability and that sort of thing are look at your vitamin D levels. Make sure that your magnesium B vitamins are up to par. Talk to your practitioner about supporting blood sugar with things like berberine and chromium to help with that blood sugar stabilization. And do all these things while working on the root cause of what's going on because we know type two is avoidable. So let's hone in on the diet and lifestyle things that we can do while managing our blood sugar now. So thinking about food combining and then supporting with some of these vitamins and minerals that I just spoke about. Um, this was a great show. Thank you guys so much for your amazing questions. I hope that you guys have some ideas and some places to start on some of these issues and concerns. Like I said, if if you've done the light, diet and lifestyle changes and you're still not having 
the results that you want, then dig deeper into some functional medicine testing because they're going to give you the answers. They're going to show you imbalances. They're going to show you deficiencies and things like that that can be corrected. Functional medicine wants you to get to a better state of health, but it also wants you to be able to stay there. So by learning about these specific responses that your body has to things like stress, blood sugar, things like that, you're able to not only get to that better state of health, but keep it. And that's what's so important. So I hope that this gave you guys lots of good information, got good places to start. If you want your question answered on a show, please email me at vibewellpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you once again for all your support. And I cannot wait to talk to you all next time. Have a great rest of your day. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my take on all things health and healing. If you do have a question you would like answered on the show, please do email me at vibewellpodcast at gmail.com. That's vibewellpodcast at gmail.com. I will post links in the show notes of anything that was relevant to what we talked about today. But other than that, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Happy healing. And I will talk to you next time.